0: Welcome to the contraception pod. I'm Maya and I'm the Catholic.
1: I'm Cassidy and I'm the Protestant.
0: At a gala at Trump Hotel, never meeting each other prior, Cassidy quietly came up to me in the bathroom and said, What are your thoughts on contraception? This question turned into a never ending discussion that we
1: decided to
0: take on a podcast.
1: So join us as we discuss contraception and how it affects our world. Welcome to the Contraception Pod. Today, we have my friend Missy Riley-Smith joining us, and I'm so glad that she's here with us. I was just in D.C. recently, and Missy joined us at a pro-life protest to support Justice Alito after the leak of the Supreme Court Justice's draft, stating that, Roe versus Wade hopefully is overturned. And while I was there, Missy so graciously gave me a ride back to Maya's house where I was staying, and we got to talking. And I found out that Missy and I have a whole lot in common. So Missy, would you tell us a little bit about your background and about the founding of your organization, Wake Up?
2: Sure. Um, I uh, was raised Catholic uh, in a large Catholic family. Uh, had three different orders of nuns. Um, I started uh, work when I was young, but I, I became went into uh, uh, the workforce in a serious way when I was in my early 20s. And um, uh, right about that time, the information hit that this enormous um, invention of the birth control pill had been, Uh, taken place and it was revolutionary and every woman alive was going to benefit from it so uh, I did um, I was married and immediately thought well I mean it wasn't that I didn't want children but I thought well I've got to be part of this amazing thing with like the hula hoop you had to try it and
1: now how old were you when you got married
2: um, I was almost 21
1: Okay. And so tell us about your career and how excited you were about the work you were doing and kind of how that went hand in hand with what you were hearing about the birth control pill.
2: Well, I was being in the workforce with young women that were my age. um, They were not necessarily Catholic or aware. Honestly, I don't think very many uh, Catholic women in there at that time really understood. I I could almost guarantee um, because as I had said to Maya, we didn't really talk about sex. We didn't have sex in school. Uh, We knew knew, uh, the few, very few women that did have sex and we just weren't, I mean, we didn't even talk about not having sex. But we just inherently knew the very few that were. Yeah. And the nuns never went into any detail. Uh So when I got out of school and I went into the workforce and I worked uh, for an insurance company first, and then I worked for a high-profile public relations and advertising firm. And then I, I worked for law firms and dental offices and... I worked um, in administration mostly, and I did, you know, managed offices. And um, it was, it was a, you know, something that young women did that time. I was really um, just focused. My main vocation was going to be mar- getting married and having a family.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I did um, get married and. For a brief period of time, I did use birth control just because, again, well, it was just so exciting. I mean, everybody had to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, my sister-in-law and I were working together at Air Transport Association, AT&T. And she um, had forgotten to take her birth control pills. And so she doubled up on them. And then the whole side of her face became paralyzed at home. And unbeknownst to, I mean, birth control pills are very, very tiny Mm -hmm. and it's, it, we didn't realize it was like taking a little bit of poison with your orange juice every day. (laughs) And so, you know, we continued, I, I stopped. Um, my recollection was that I didn't really, um, want to be taking them. (laughs) <laughs> to tell you the truth, I wanted a child, I wanted family, and I did get pregnant. Um, actually, I had, I think I probably did have some adverse reaction, and then I had an IUD. And that was a really um, horrific situation. That was, I don't know if, if you know anybody who has them, but physically for a woman, the IUD at the time, the coil was straightened out and it was put into a long plastic tube like a straw and then it was the doctor or whomever let it go and then it shot like an arrow into your womb and it was really painful <laughs> it's like oh my evidence but again back to being a 20 year old what do you know i mean yeah. i would know more Allow someone to do that to be now, then you know, jump off a roof. But I, I
0: do want to ask you, how did they advertise it? You know, you lived during this time. How was it advertised that made it so exciting that you know this is something new? You know, obviously maybe it's the fact that it's new, but like, how did they convince women that they should be on, be on? Well, you live?
2: know what they did. They they wove some truth. Like they always say, the devil is gives you ninety nine percent of the truth and then one percent percent's a lie mm-hmm. and so what they were saying in all the magazines that this amazing this inner uterine device had actually been around for many many years a theory behind it had been used in china because the theory was that if there's a foreign body in your womb then the new little conceived life then they didn't describe it that way could not it adhe- could not uh, implant in the side of the womb so of course i don't recall all of the wording but you know i mean the devil's very crafty so he's right. he posed it he didn't say new life he didn't say anything except that you couldn't, it dis, what he did say was it, it disallowed pregnancy. Mm. It really disallowed the implantation. That's what it did. Now, did that
1: concern you at all? Like when you were 20, did you have any understanding of no. you know what an abortive patient might be or?
2: Never heard the word, never, ever. In fact, um, it was interesting because I did get pregnant and with the IUD and it wasn't until a number of years later that I was told that in theory what you're supposed to do is check to make sure that the strings from the IUD are in place well nobody you know no one told us I was not told and obviously no one else was because in the 60s there was this enormous it was probably mid to late 60s there was a whole rash of little tiny babies being born very early. Mm. And no one knew why. Well, in retrospect, we now know that what the IUD did was, I mean, ideally the womb is the, the, where the implantation goes is at the very top of the womb. And so as the baby grows, it's balanced like an apple. And so if it isn't, let's say with if you have an IUD or an, even like the Chinese purportedly, century for centuries put coins into their wombs. So it disallowed the implantation where it should have been, which was at the top of mm-hmm. the womb. So as the baby grew and weight, it would be balanced. and it could, but what happened instead, was the implantation was on the side of the womb. So when the baby got to be about five, five and a half months, about weighing a pound, mm. the baby would, it wasn't evenly. Right. Dist- the weight wasn't distributed properly. It wasn't the way nature intended it. So it pulled okay. away.
0: labor, yeah. Wow. And
2: so uh, the, immediately a woman would, uh, the water would break, the woman mm. would go into, uh, labor and for me you know it was uh i think it was probably three or four days of labor because as you may or may not know the baby the bigger the bigger the baby is the, and the more weight the baby has uh, that, or yeah. he can push uh, or she push down on the uh and open up the diaphragm yeah. so the baby can then come out but yeah. um in this instance when you have such a tiny little baby. Um, and so that's what happened with me. And I, I this, talk about naive. I had no idea that it was connected. That wow. The IUD, having had the, I did go to um, an OBGYN who my mother had gone to, was very, very Catholic. And he, of course, he would never have given me an IUD or birth control pills, but um, uh, my sister-in-law was very familiar with a doctor that she encouraged me to go to with, with her. And um, he put the IUD in. And But it wasn't until years later when um, uh, Operation Outcry from uh, Texas, you may know Alan Parker and the Justice Foundation. Yeah. Anyway, they had an event downtown where they um, were uh, celebrating all the babies that had been aborted and their lives. And there were thousands and thousands of people, and there were baby booties, and everybody had names on it. And Alan Parker's wife said, and he said he admitted that, that their child was an IUD abortion. And I thought, oh, I can't believe it. I had one. I didn't know. I, I mean, it was, but that's how, you know. What did, did he mean when had, he said
1: that? Like, did his wife get pregnant and she had a miscarriage after using the IUD or what had happened? In yeah, that the situation? same
2: thing that happened to me. She became pregnant she ha- after she had the IUD. And mm-hmm. then, like I said, there was a whole, in the late 60s, there was a rash of women that I knew that went to the hospital and had these babies these tiny tiny little babies and that it was directly related to having had an iud put in mm-hmm. wow that's so I, I had I, no idea yeah i don't know if they did but i it took me all the way i mean to this event with with that was held downtown in the at the mall and they were you know, it was all about babies that had been aborted. Mm -hmm. And all these women had named their babies and had gotten little baby booties. And then, you know, they referred to an IUD abortion. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh my heavens, that's what I had. I mean, it wasn't on purpose, I didn't mean to do it. The same way as I was saying about statistically, they say that, you know, in the beginning, when they had the two uh, research groups on the pill, the birth control pill, the first group were men and the second group were women. And the first year one man had a small shrinkage of a testicle and they immediately shut down the research. Yeah, The women, The first year four women died and so they adjusted the dosage women were dying from hemorrhages strokes heart attacks and again it's i don't you know it's you don't really we didn't hear about it i didn't know it to tell you the truth until i had a chastity program um called chastity programs international cpi and i got chastity speakers from all over the country to come and speak and professor janet smith spoke Mm. and that's when she told us about this um the two different studies now when they ultimately they made the birth control pill harden the womb so it disallowed the implantation of the new life and that's when they came up with a statistic that said that in every 10 cycles, a woman on the average has a new little life that is conceived and looking around for implantation, but cannot get anywhere. And so you slough the new little life off Mm
1: -hmm. and don't
2: even know it. So women who are taking birth control pills, every 10 cycles, they're getting pregnant and they're sloughing off their new baby's life. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a, it's a reality that is, is shocking, but, and I can guarantee you most women don't know about it. Um, but in any event, um, after the IUD, and I, I gave birth to a little girl on Good Friday, and she lived for three days, we named her mm-hmm. Caught Marie Cardney, and uh, Caught is Irish for Cat, Kate, and um, she uh, died on Easter Sunday. And um, the next year I had um, another little girl who weighed two pounds and, and she, praise God, she lived. And then, um, then the third year I had um, another little girl. So I had Marjorie who weighed two pounds, Gigi who weighed five pounds, and, and she was my first that came home from the hospital. And um, and then, you know, we just continued on kind of naively, not knowing all the ramifications of all of this. Not, and and the, here's the thing that is probably the saddest and the most important thing with using contraception and the most important thing that everyone who listens to this podcast must understand, I believe, is that when one uses contraception, one really cuts God out of the equation. And even just the reality that God is part of the, this, the moment of conception, that little soul comes and, and enters that. And it's so, it's something that we did not, I, I say we, I, I have to speak for myself, Um, I didn't, I did not comprehend that. I didn't, you know, and I didn't uh, realize that I was turning my back on God when I was taking this into my own hands with my husband. Hmm. And it's a very, um, I guess, whether it's seductive or sneaky, whatever it is, the devil did remove God. It was the beginning of, um, I mean, if you can have sex without babies and bonding, then why can't you have sex with another woman or another man or with anything? It was just for fun. I mean, you know, can we uh, play tennis? Can we go to the movies? Can we have sex? No, it's sex is for a committed relationship for babies and bonding. And once that was taken away, that knowledge, that uh, information, um, the, the all of society was very confused and, and, and still are. And it's with the hope and the prayer that, that organizations like yourself that are promoting um, to educate on the evils of contraception. You know, we had this time where uh, with Malthusian, where he taught that there were so many people they were just falling off the world. Well, that's just not true. Mm. I mean, you could take all the human beings in the entire world and put them in the state of Texas, and they'd have you. They could have two or three acres of land. So mm. we're not overpopulated. There are our pockets of over, overpopulation. And
0: and. Yeah. And I, and a question I have for you is, you know, I always am talking about on my, on this podcast and on my Instagram, how the sexual revolution in this time of pushing contraception has really pushed this abortion it has really pushed abortion yeah. in society and now we see people literally celebrating it and making cakes and and all these things celebrating you know abortions like when they like women are encouraging their fellow co-worker friends to go get an abortion and when they come back from getting their abortion they have a cake and like they're celebrating like um so when you during the 60s and during this time of the country you know of uh, the IUD and um, the birth control pill really becoming popular what was what was the shift in abortion like and like people talking about abortion in the next like 20 30 years like when you know the 60s before or 50s 60s before all of this like what was what was it like like how did people talk about abortion back then we didn't were- talk about I didn't huh. I
2: mean nobody knew about abortion now an interesting thing is if you believe in the the healing of the family tree um i my mother did when i was probably 16 tell explain to me that her great grandma her grandmother forced her mother to have an abortion when my mother was 18 months old and her mother forced her to have an abortion Now, she never said anything to me about that. The grandmother that lived with us from the time I was a child was, I always thought she was my grandmother. She really was my great aunt. Um, My grandmother, Marjorie, which is my baptismal name, she was very young. She was probably 16 when she, she got married. And um, she was, of course, when you think 100 years ago, you think of, I mean, this will show you she was just such a sweet little naive person. She didn't want to lie. And uh, my grandfather uh, wanted to marry her. And she said, well, I'm not over 17. So she wrote a one on a piece of paper and a seven on the other. And she stuck the one in one shoe and the seven in the other. She said, yes, I'm over 17. So (laughs) she got married. And I think it was nine months later, she had my mother. My grandmother's name was Marjorie. My mother's name was Marjorie, mine and my daughter's Marjorie. So in any event, she had my mother... And her mother had been um, out of town and she was very, very upset about the marriage. She sent my grandmother away to Paris. And um, when she came back, um, you know, she was still married and she was still in love with her husband and in love with her baby. And she got pregnant again. And that was when my great-grandmother, my mother's grandmother and my grandmother's mother forced her to have an abortion, and she died from sepsis wow. uh, within hours. You know, the next day. And so my my uh, mother, as eighteen month old baby, went to live with her biological father's sister, and and her husband and son. And so my grandmother who came to live with us was always I thought she I thought she was my biological grandmother and then when I was 16 my mother and I were doing wash and and my mother said I think it's time you should know the family history and she had an old-fashioned trunk and she said you know she showed me pictures of her mother and told me about her mother being forced to have an abortion and so it was, a, it was an interesting revelation and um, fast forward, um, again, remind me your question because I think I've gone far afield, but it's all the, it's connected, it, it's interconnected in terms, I think what you asked me was, was there conversation about abortion? And my answer to you is the only time I ever heard about abortion was when I was 16. And it and was my mother. Yeah. Explained about her mother. And we were, she was still horrified. I was still horrified. And fast forward, abortions were being done in the late, uh, uh, well, maybe 68. They had been started at the Washington Hospital Center. And I, but no, I didn't have any idea about that. But anyway. The marriage with my, I was married to a very lovely man who had some, some serious emotional problems. And so I, um, he just was not able to be married. And so I went to work and with my two toddlers that were one and two, and then two years later, uh, I, I met um, a man that wanted to marry me and. He was, had never been married. He was Catholic. He was a, a successful attorney. He was um, very high profile um, social register. And he, you know, said I, because it was, I was taking birth control pills. And he said, oh, you know, no, 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 no. We're getting married right away anyway. So to stop. Well, then when I got pregnant, he was, I think he hit the panic button. And, you know, he coerced me. There was no conversation. It was just, you know, get in the car. We're going to the Washington Hospital Center and this is what we're going to do.
1: So, Missy, in that moment, as your fiance is driving you to Washington Hospital, telling you you're going to have an abortion that you didn't ask for, how did you feel in that moment?
2: Oh, devastated. Absolutely devastated. I I was, um, my knight in shining armor was, um, revealed to, to not be such a, uh, a knight. It was, he was not protecting me. I, um, I don't know. I, 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 from my own heart, I had never felt anything, such betrayal in my Mm -hmm. whole life. It was, it was a terrible, terrible experience. So, um, what happened that you were taken to the hospital? Well, I was, uh, taken upstairs nobody spoke to me it was very uh cold um you know it was no one spoke and the procedure was done and uh, we left and i was dropped off and um it was it was a a life-changing moment it was a devastating it was gut-wrenching it was a horror and it lasted for a long long time i i um through operation outcry and and uh, silent no more i've met thousands and thousands of women that have very similar stories and felt similarly um, i really um you know hated the father and and actually, you know, it was so long ago that I have to say that I didn't make the, again, the mental connection that this was a baby with arms and fingers and that, um, that we do now because we have sonograms. I mean, this was, um, I don't know, 52 years ago, maybe. So it was a long time. It was a long time ago. And, um, but the emotional devastation lasted for a long time. I felt as though I was at the bottom of a well, a dark well, and I couldn't get out. I'd never felt such, well, it was depression. It was mm-hmm. just awful. Wow. Never felt like that.
1: I can't imagine the pain you went through, Missy. That must have been so horrible. This might sound like kind of a side note, but while I was doing some pro-life activism in Jackson, Mississippi earlier this year, we had some pro-abortion protesters come out. They had a sign that said, abortion regret is fake or something like that. And what would you say to abortion supporters who promote the narrative that women never regret their abortions or that they always choose abortion freely and are never coerced? What would you say to them?
2: Well, to quote, our favorite president, that's fake news. Um, The reality is that the way God created us, um, there is, it is a life and um, it's all interconnected. I mean, uh, when one becomes pregnant, everything in your whole body is changing, everything. And then all of a sudden through an abortion, it's it, it, which is a it's an act of violence. Um, it isn't the, anything that you have the emotional aspect is not anything that you have control over, and the um desolation, the isolation, the the darkness. Uh, I mean, I understand why women. Uh, drink and drug and, and get pregnant again right away to have a substitute baby. Um, I understand, you know, the uh, 50 years later, still feeling the same way. I mean, it isn't, I mean, you can be healed. You can go to confession. You can go to retreats. You but you'll never forget that, you know, this this child. It, it was it was a it was a living being. It'd be prior to, uh, no matter whether it's six days or six months or nine months, yes. it's a life, and the way that we are, you know, again we're back to how the birth control pill the Really took us, took God out of the equation. but to to go through an abortion, um, I, 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 as a sidewalk counselor i I could always see that the over eighty percent of women uh, that were having an abortion, someone was driving it, whether it was a relative or the father of the baby or something it wasn't a natural thing like going in and having your hair cut or having your nails done or no it is it is a it it i don't believe um in fact i think it was um the abortionist boyd who said that um every woman who has an abortion um has an enormous trauma now this is an abortionist this is someone who kills babies for a living right and he said that every woman and he's done at that time it was I don't know probably in the 80s where maybe in the 90s uh, he had already done 20,000 abortions he was also a psychiatrist interestingly enough and he said that Every woman has a trauma that has an abortion that whether you push it down and don't address it, don't talk about it, it will resurface. It will come back. And um, that was, to me, one of the most um, impressive quotes that I've ever heard that that an abortion provider would admit as a psychiatrist and an abortionist that every woman has a trauma that has an abortion. And um, these pro-death people can uh, say that it's not true and that it's fake. Um, and I, I do think there's a certain hardening of the heart mm. because they say, I mean, many times you you see um, women that come back and back and back and have abortion. And they're using it as birth control. And they say the average is, in Russia, nine abortions. Um, you wow. can see where there's a hardening of the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the gospel a number of weeks ago, they were saying, uh, and they were made deaf by their pride. So you know, I think there's a certain psychological progression that happens when someone has an abortion and they have to go back into their life. And they have to many, so many of the friends that I've made through Operation Outcry and Silent No More um, dove heavily into drugs and uh, promiscuity and alcohol and destructive behavior yeah. and um and addiction I, to something something to divert right yeah. um so why would that be if if we were making it up why would some why would the majority of of women that i know that have had abortions would you know all you have to do is go to the supreme court every year silent no more has all these women that get up there and talk about how after their abortion they became promiscuous they took drugs they drank alcohol to excess they did lots and they cut themselves they can in fact i mean Teresa burke talks about the suicidal ideology i mean 80 percent of women who have abortions think seriously of killing themselves. Wow,
1: Uh, so devastating. You know, the child dies and the mom thinks also
2: of dying, so sad. It's terribly sad. And um, it's a lie from hell. I mean, we know that Satan's a liar and a murderer and always has been, but um, when you see the pro-death people espousing all of this, um, it, it does break your heart. The stories that you hear And um, after I had the abortion and I, um, the father of the the child um, kept coming around and following me and wanting to see me and I refused and I didn't, I mean, I hated him, but I hated myself worse. So um, finally, you know, almost a year later, I did he did ask me to marry him and ask for forgiveness. And we did get married, but it was a, it was a bumpy road. It wasn't an easy situation because, um, we had done something we both regretted and it, it breeds distrust and it breeds all kinds of things that you really need to have some spiritual guidance to work your way through. But we did have, um, Uh, uh, another little girl so we by that time we had um, well I had four but one was in heaven and so we had three and then the next year we had um, a son and he was born with down syndrome and um, so my husband was um, as I said he was third generation uh, Washingtonian and Um, he was very social and very prominent and which I feel that was probably the derivation of his and he had a very forceful personality it wasn't as though his uh forcing the abortion was um you know he wasn't a timid man he was a leader and he was he was forceful and um and he was very forceful about getting married he was very forceful about wanting to marry me but in any event when our son john was born um he insisted that he be named john lewis smith the fourth and um we didn't <laughs> i didn't really know my, anything about down syndrome to tell you the truth um but that he was um very, very protective. Um, And it was only probably less than three years from the time of the forced abortion to John's birth. And um, John was um, very sick. And at a month, uh, he had Hirschsprung's disease. So he was started on, he had a, a surgery and had a colostomy and then had um nine more surgeries for the next uh, 5 years wow. maybe 6 years so my goodness but he was he was very loved Aww. he was very very treasured and he was pure love and that's i you know it was also the i i do consider john uh my redemption because um I think I was probably a mediocre Catholic and um, but, you know, fast forward, uh, John was um, uh, very active and wrote and uh, went to school. And he went to a school in um, when he was 15 in Ridgely, Maryland, and he um, had lots of friends and it was um, called the Benedictine school for exceptional children. And, um, he, he did love it. He loved being home and being pampered, but he loved going to school and he had gone to a Montessori school early on and learned how to read, write, and do arithmetic beautifully. And, um, his dad took him to, you know, burning tree and he played golf. And now he had, Children and human beings with downs have low motor control. So it was he wasn't a great golfer, but <laughs> he enjoyed being with his dad and all the men loved him. And he learned how to drive a car and he got a driver's license and all of that. And um, when he was 19, um, after dinner, he was with his guy friends walking around the gym and he had a heart attack and died oh I'm and so, so that was that was a, a something that really shook his siblings and obviously his dad and I don't think his dad ever got over the fact that John died but mm-hmm. um, for me it was a horror but it was also brought me back to my roots what did I really believe in I believed in heaven, hell, and purgatory. I believed in all eternity. I believed that John was in heaven. I believed he was with the Blessed Mother. And so, you know, in that sense, like I said, he was my redemption. I went to Medjugorje, and um, my life took a very big turn uh, for the better. I I really um, value and, and love the the Catholic faith and my faith. And um, so I feel as though John's death and his life was my redemption. Um, But it also catapulted me into um, the pro-life movement. Because when I went to Medjugorje, they have um, confessions in every language imaginable. And um, I went to confession and... uh, you know, got on the straight and narrow, and my my life took a very different turn. and then uh, that was ninety three. and then um, in ninety eight, um, my I was driving back. my husband and I had come back from UVA where our son was in school and he had just gotten married and and uh, my brother called me and he, was sitting in the parking lot listening to g gordon liddy read an entire editorial on the trafficking of baby body parts
1: mm-hmm. and i believe
2: that was november 13th 1998 and um so we uh, just i he said you know miss you have to read this editorial you're not going to believe it so I read it and I, it was true. I, I could hardly believe it. It was absolutely so gruesome. Mm-hmm. And Dean Alberti Jr. had gone to Life Dynamics in in uh, Denton, Texas and told uh, them that he was a fetal tissue retrieval technician. And he had no idea when he accepted the job what that meant. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to tell how the abortion is what it was a freestanding clinic and the Um, abortionist would the total disregard for these babies was something that was horrifying to him and one day the abortionist brought in um, a bowl that had two a a set of twins and they were still alive and he said here and he and Dean Alberti Jr. said I don't that's not in my contract I don't do that and he said oh okay and he took a, a big bottle of saline solution and poured it over the babies and they drowned. And he said, okay, here, now do it. Oh, oh my goodness. So, and it was, there were so many stories in this editorial like that. They, it was horrifying. And so I called my friend Maureen Flynn, who has the Science and Wonders apostolate. And I said, Maureen, you are not going to believe this. They are actually this multi-billion dollar business was going on. You're not going to believe this. So we have to do something about this. This is just not, you know. So she said, okay, wait a minute. Let me me look at my calendar, December 8th. All right, we'll meet at your house December 8th. And um, between November and December, you know, I kept going over in my head, well, what exactly, what kind of acronym does the Blessed Mother want, you know? And it didn't come to mind. It didn't come to mind. Well, we got um, a total of five of us came to my home. In the meantime, a friend called, or someone I actually didn't know, but someone who knew me and said, her name is Trish Short, and she was a music writer and a producer, and she said, Missy, I'm... To short, and I understand that you have found out about the trafficking of baby body parts, and you're pretty hysterical about it. And and you know, would you be interested in having us do a movie? Uh, So I said, well, you know what? We haven't even gotten together, but why don't you call on December eighth at ten o'clock, and we'll talk about it. So we, you know, it came ten o'clock came. I'd gone to mass. The four women arrived, we all prayed, and it was just a natural thing. Women against the killing and exploitation of unprotected persons, wake up. Hmm. And by then, we all had heard the Blessed Mother saying in all of her messages, wake up, wake up. You are acting as though you're walking in your sleep. Mm -hmm. comprehend what's going on. So in this moment,
1: you're going from, you know, a family history of forced abortion from your own personal history of having, you know, tried out, you know, the birth control pill, the IUD, and then having your own coerced abortion, which was so painful and scary. And now here you are rising up as a pro-life activist. That must have been just incredible and very redemptive to have this opportunity now to fight for life.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that, I think that that was probably not something that I was thinking logically. I was, re, but it was, it was, it has been in a most amazing journey that mm-hmm. God has taken me on. I mean, it's definitely God. Mm-hmm. And, um, because it, it was interesting. The two of the women did, um, they collected the money and then they, uh, paid for the video to be made for wake up. And then within, uh, let's see, I don't know. It wasn't very long. Um, Mother, uh, I mean, yeah. Mother Angelica was coming to speak at the uh, Basilica for Maureen Flynn's Signs and Wonders, the apostolate. And so she'd always had a, a small group And they had food for everyone for lunch. All the speakers said marvelous speakers at the Basilica. And this year, of course, it was Mother Angelica. So I gave her the video to take back to EWTN. So she put it on TV. She ran it in the middle of the night for two and a half years. So um, that kind of, although it wasn't a big, big success it started me and i got a non i I became a non-profit and the other four women one of them passed away two of them went back to their primary jobs or i guess the three of them went back to to their primary jobs and but i continued i was obsessed (laughs) i thought this is people don't i have the again i'm naive mind you and i'm saying this is amazing this is a silver bullet no woman would ever have an abortion if she knew these tiny, tiny little babies at 6, 8, 10 weeks had hands, fingers, you know, all that. We, we still didn't know that mm-hmm. until Mona Sharon, she picked up her article from the American Enterprise Institute and the American Enterprise Institute picked their article up. From Life Dynamics and Mark Crutcher, and Mark Crutcher is a research organization, and he's actually mentored Lila Rose and James O'Keefe, and he's not—he's an unsung hero. But in any event, um, Wake Up was born, and uh, the exploitation of unprotected persons, and the whole—it was, and of course what have we heard for the last two years with COVID and all of this is wake up. This is a wake up call with wake up. So I think it's very, um, it was from God and immediately, you know, I was writing articles and I was giving talks and then it evolved that I was doing sidewalk counseling. And then I was doing the, you know, I was producing all kinds of, of pro-life, I, I, I had a wonderful graphic artist who was extremely artistic and creative and we worked together and we created thousands and thousands of, of pamphlets and all kinds of things. And in the meantime, my friend Maureen is back and she's working uh, with her, She puts out a four times a year, a full color magazine and every once in a while, on the front page is Our Lady of America, and you know, I don't know why. I, I just didn't, you know, I didn't comprehend what was going on, and uh, because the Ma- Our Lady of America is a is a relatively new approved appar- apparition. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that she first appeared in 1968. Mm-hmm. So. Um, And her main message was returning to chastity and purity. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, it came together like a thunderbolt. Again, I'm not very smart, but, you know, if you pray enough, you get inspired and God and the Holy Spirit inspires you. And I said, whoa, that's the answer. Chastity. Mm -hmm. Nobody will, if, if we embrace the beauty of the theology of the body that god created the body and mind you i'd never heard of the theology of the body until we had pope john paul ii and yeah by that time you know lots had occurred uh, a lot of misguided souls yeah. so anyway um our lady of america was just an amazement to me and i couldn't figure out how i was going to get the word i mean i'm just no one i'm not important and how was i going to get the word out that um that we needed to to return to chastity and purity and that would really stop contraception it would stop abortion it would stop all the sexual confusion
0: exactly Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's just such a such a beautiful point to like why we have this podcast, right? And for all our listeners is because we want people to discover beauty and in that beauty be led to the truth, which finds its foundation. First of all, in right, in chastity and purity, because in chastity and impurity, we find true happiness, we find true fulfillment, which is found in giving ourselves completely in that love, in that unconditional love that God, that that we are called to be as made in God's image. And that's why Cassidy and I started this podcast because we believe that that when contraception is gone, when, you know, abortion and all that follows will also be gone. But we do this inherently because each and every one of us are made in the beautiful image of God. And that's what a return to chastity. That's what a return to to ending contraception well do right it'll bring back the beauty of who you are and what your body was created for it was created you know if god created gave you body and soul and spirit right not just not just so you can you know not just for your physical pleasure but for the ultimate happiness of loving god like being in an unconditional love with god for eternity and that's what a return to chastity will bring us back to and so And and I just want to thank you so much for you know sharing that whole story with us, right? And taking us from the very beginning and and, and talking about how, you know, probably and I'm, I'm making this assumption, but how that contraceptive mentality really leads into into abortion, into more into different circumstances and what it looked like during that time. And I want to emphasize that to our listeners. Abortion was not talked about. You know, it was a really probably a pretty shameful thing to talk about yes. during that time until contraception came about. Then it was some next step. And I just want you to think about that and remember what Missy told each reminded each and every one of us to remember. Um, And that's what I want to leave all our listeners with is that if there's anything you take away from this. You take away the fact that when you start taking contraception, you take God out of the equation. So thank you all for listening. Um, Cassidy, I don't know if you have anything else that you want to say to wrap this up, but I want to thank Missy so much for your time and for your story. There were so many times when tears were brought to my eyes and just realizing mm-hmm. what how how needed your message and your movement is to our society.
2: So thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Maya. It's my pleasure. God bless you for your work.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Missy. We're so grateful you could be here with us. Thank you for being willing to share with us the story of everything that occurred in your family. To our listeners tuning in, you know, maybe there's um, a past history in your family of abortion, or maybe you're a Protestant, and everyone in your family uses contraception, and you're the only one who doesn't, you know? So just want to encourage you, whatever the past has been, like, it now can be the day. Today can be the start of a change of trajectory, you know, listen to our prior episodes about why we're encouraging our listeners to embrace the beauty of how God has created us and that we can have beautiful lives, even without contraception. And of course, without abortion. And so um, we're so grateful to Missy for joining us. And we hope that you'll check out her organization, Wake Up, which you can look up online. Um, And thank you so much to our listeners. Have a great rest of your week.